Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On January 8, 2019, detainees at the same retention center that Chantal was held in released the following communique, announcing that they had begun a hunger strike and calling on detainees in other retention centers to join them. Before Chantal reads the communique, we want to provide a bit of background information on the technical terms used by the detainees which are specific to French immigration and asylum procedures and might not be familiar to our listeners. In France, administrative retention centers are used to hold foreigners without the right to legally be in the French territory pending deportation. Normally, men, women, and children can be held in the center for up to two months. During this time, they can go through a number of different procedures attempting to receive asylum or prove their legal right to remain in the country. These centers are roughly similar to ICE detention centers here in the United States. The Dublin procedures are EU laws which force migrants to apply for asylum only in the first countries they reach. Often, migrants are forced to apply for papers in countries like Turkey or Italy when they actually wish to reach countries like France, Brussels, Germany, or England. Many migrants in France are deported to the countries within the EU that they originally received papers from. Accelerated procedures also deal with the deportation of asylum seekers. It is most often used to deny the normal hearing process to people who are citizens of countries deemed safe by France. An accelerated procedure can also be used in other scenarios, including, quote, when the presence of the foreign national in France constitutes a serious threat to public order, unquote, as in the case of Chantal. Undeclared flights refers to a practice in which the prefecture sometimes organizes flights very early in the morning without giving notice to the detainees so that they don't have time to protest, organize, or see a lawyer or migrant rights group. This is especially common in the retention centers near airports, like CRA3. Now here's Chantal reading their communique. We, the detainees of Administrative Retention Center 2 in mesnil Amelot, near the Charles de Gaulle Airport in the Ile-de-France region, decided before the evening meal of January 8th to launch a hunger strike for at least two days. We have called upon CRA3 and the Women's Building to do the same tomorrow morning. Here, the conditions of our confinement are disastrous. The food is disgusting. To go to the infirmary, you must stand in line in the freezing cold of the winter. The nurses are arrogant. Generally, they only give you Tylenol. Even when you have broken something, they don't give you a bandage. They just give you some cream. Here, the police make the law. If you complain, you go straight to solitary. Here, there are plenty of people who have gone through what we call the double punishment, condemned to prison, and then, when they are let out, brought directly to the retention center. In the retention center, if you refuse to give your fingerprints or go to see the consul, you could spend almost 135 days straight in the center, or... You could do several months in prison between two placements in CRA. In the women's building, a prisoner was raped by a police officer before the holidays. Nothing was done for her. In Messel Amelot, there are often hidden undeclared flights early in the morning. You can be put in solitary confinement before the flight. There are many former retainees who have been sent back by force, hooded, and taped. 
Recently, four Guineans were taken by force by a large escort in a charter flight to the Bourget airport. The escort left to look for five other Guineans in Bordeaux, and all nine of them were deported to Guinea. We demand an end to the hidden flights, the end of violent deportations, and a ban on using chartered flights for deportations. During the entire length of your retention, you don't change the bedsheets. Even in prison, it is cleaner than here, and that's saying something. Here, you can't go to the canteen or wait around in hope of having activity. There are none. Here, the law doesn't exist, even less than in jail and prison. Before arriving here, you cannot know what that's like. We are sick of the everyday racism of the police. All the pressures and humiliations are there to break our morale, the morale of the detainees. We call on the other detainees of France to struggle with us against the three months of imprisonment you received just for not having papers. We call for solidarity from the outside. Freedom for all. The detainees of Retention Center 2 at Messel Amelot. Evening, January 8th. This week, we continue hearing from Chantal, who tells us of her time detained in France last month. Arrested in Paris during the Yellow Vest protests, Chantal gives her perspective on her case and continues to describe for us the immigration detention facility that she was held in. You can hear the beginning of her story in last week's Kite Line. So the first chance I got uh, in the afternoon of the first day I was there, I went to the office, it's called CMAD, and it's no affiliation with the police, some kind of non nonprofit or NGO, I'm not exactly sure. Social workers that help migrants and help people in immigration trouble. And I sat down with them and they were also very shocked to see that I was there, um, that I was American, that I had my passport, that I had these flights home. And I was kind of discussing with them and yeah, they were wanted to help me leave, wanted to help me um, get out. They were basically like, we're gonna rush, we're gonna try to rush, we're gonna try to get you in to see a judge this afternoon. And so they, they kind of like shifted things around to make that possible. One of the social workers also offered for me to use her because I was a tourist so I didn't have an address in France which was also kind of something they used against me you know like that I couldn't I, I couldn't like offer any sort of address to claim um so one of the social workers even offered to give me her address to put on my papers and maybe the most f one of the funniest things that happened the entire time I was there uh is one of the social workers asked me if you know I was I kind of explaining the situation the context and she was like yes you know in fact you know thousands of people I was the day I was arrested 2,000 people were arrested across France and many of them were illegal detainments based off of like having objects that in fact French citizens are required to have by law such as the yellow vest every French citizen is required to have a yellow vest in their car in the event of a traffic accident so the website the news source Lundi Matin uh, had written a story about a person getting arrested in this context and um they asked me if i ever read lenny matan and printed out a lenny matan article for me <laughs> for me to read which was a, a great joy and the only paper i had to write on so uh, and they also gave me a pen but I, I saw the phone i saw the phone in their office and i asked them if i could use it and i called my mother in the united states um just the first phone call i made and I asked her to get in contact with some of my friends that would be able to get in contact with people I know in France. So she did that and um, I got sent back out and I went to my first administrative hearing um, that afternoon. I waited for many hours. It was also very confusing. I wasn't sure what I was doing. 
And during that time, some of my friends were able to kind of back channel call me through the number that I had called. And, uh, you know, I had managed to use a phone again while I was waiting. And I finally talked to some friends in France and found out that they had been looking for me during these two and a half days and had found a lawyer to represent me. And so this private lawyer they had gotten for me was able to speak to a this my second court-appointed lawyer minutes before I saw, went before a judge and kind of agree on a sort of legal strategy. And so basically, this administrative procedure is, is just essentially supposed to be solely about the facts of the detainment and arrest. Basically, was there an error made by law enforcement that has led me to be in, incarcerated in the retention center? If there had been any errors made by law enforcement. So in my case, I had not been adequately given my rights in my language. I had not been fed or given water. I was denied a doctor and I was denied access to a lawyer for too long. And on top of that, there was really no, like little to no information or documentation of my arrest at all. There were no, there was no, because of the overflow of, you know, because of the high number of arrests that day, it seems that there was a lack of filing paperwork by the police. So these are like very, actually a very straightforward defense, which is how it is supposed to be. But on the prosecution side, uh, much contextual information was brought into play. What I was wearing, the fact that I had, I had a black scarf that I, you know, my, the, the jacket I was wearing was called into question. Um, again, like, again, like t kind of like, what was my knowledge of the Chilean movement prior? And I have been visiting France as a student and a tourist for about 10 years now. So I, you know, there's kind of like two ways you can go, right? Like you can play stupid and be like a stupid American that was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which, you know, I don't believe that many French people are favorable towards stupid American. So it seems like maybe not the best option. There's a second option of being like, you know, I, I am, I'm fluent in French. I, you know, respect French culture so much that I flew to Paris to see a specific Picasso exhibition at the Musée de Orsay. You know, I, I'd seen this, this, I had seen this, this beautiful, like the, I'd seen a rose period Picasso painting in Philadelphia, uh, you know, in the fall. And there's an entire exhibition at the Musée de Orsay. It's the only chance to see it. So I came to Paris to see that. It was closed because your country is in a major crisis. And so I, again, did the only cultural event happening that day in Paris. Um, and, you know, I, I love France. I would like to come back, but I do not want to stay here. I do not want to live here. And quite frankly, I was having a fine vacation until your police attacked me. And I, at this point, I would just like to leave. I've already missed one flight. My friends have bought me another flight. I would not like to miss that one, right? I want to leave. And so, you know, this, this, this sort of <laughs> defense that I gave on my own behalf, um, after like this, this, like these, this, I mean, this prosecutor was even saying things of the nature of, you know, like she goes like, you know, this prosecutor was like, you know, I, I go days without, you know, a day, whole day without eating. It's fine. You know, like, but kind of like, be like taking any sort of typical administrative defense that we had, throwing it on their bus and then bringing up all these other contextual things. The only words the judge had was, oh, wow, she speaks very good French. <laughs> and that was it. I went back into um, waiting, uh, maybe for another hour. 
I came out, my appointed lawyer had left, and I was told that I, the judge had upheld everything that um, the police commissioner had suggested, which was 28 days in the retention center and a menace to the public order designation, which holds a three-year ban of the French territories, which consequently comes with a three-year ban of the Schengen zone, which is also serious in the sense that it means, you know, for the for those three years, if you come to the Schengen zone, you will automatically go to prison. And then beyond that, it's in many Schengen zone countries, it's a possibility that I would never get a visa again to travel in certain countries. It was brought up, the sort of absurdity of me being a doc, you know, being a documented citizen of the United States, um, being held in this specific center and how that maneuver by the French state was essentially outside of the law. And it was explained to me much later that this sort of menace to the public order is, is typically associated with like terrorist activities and, and things like this. And at a minimum is coupled with criminal charges to which at this point I had none. They had disappeared by some fashion um, because, you know, there was definitely too much for the police to be processing. Or it was very explicit, a very explicit decision of this judge to make this exceptional ruling as a punishment because I deserved it because I had come to France and participated in a riot or, or you know, chose a, a very stressful, high intensity moment to protest. And at this time, it was we were very much still witnessing this intense crisis of the French state. And quite frankly, the entirety of the French state was very upset and threatened and grasping every opportunity to punish people involved. So for context, the retention center and this administrative court is very near the Charles de Gaulle airport. And there are two immigration retention centers nearby there. There's one that is sort of in and part of the airport or very nearby from my understanding. And all of my friends in jail said it's much nicer um and then there's this one that I was at um and so I was just you know bust back over you know around the corner back to the center um back to it's nighttime now and so I you know I was kind of being um put back in my cell which I essentially made a big fuss and demanded a phone um, which, you know, allegedly is part of my rights. I'm, I'm supposed to have access to a phone to be able to talk to my lawyer. And so I demanded a phone, was able to call my private lawyer and try to get her to explain what had happened to me. Uh, and I read, you know, sort of this document I had been, I had been given. And, um, you know, she at that point hadn't been able to get in touch with this court-appointed lawyer that had, that had kind of disappeared. Um, but, you know, she was very shocked by the ruling um, was sort of, you know, sort of very sorry for me. It was, was kind of like shocked, was expressing the shock of many of her lawyer, like her cohort, cohort. And, um, you know, so at this, at this point, it's like the shock of everyone around me, like friends and enemies was just like mounting. And I sort of started to recede into this, um, acceptance of sort of being, um, punitively thrown into this very strange gray zone where anyone with the ability to set me free was very much interested in um, 
openly acting outside of the law to keep me there. And so I just went back and, you know, <laughs> again, these, these, these relationships I, that I started to form in the center, uh, everyone is, you know, kind of shocked to see me again. And, you know, we, we, we discuss our cases a bit and, you know, it, it goes on. And I, 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 I kind of expect that I will, I, you know, I will go in front of another judge to appeal this in a few days and you know surely that one will go through i'm not really feeling that much i'm kind of just like have this sort of deep acceptance of the situation that i'm just kind of going through whatever i'll be going through and there are ways to keep busy there you know if, if i if i find them the retention center is, is quite lively and in, in that there is absolutely nothing to do there's no recreational activities there's no library no one has books or, or things to entertain themselves there is one very depressing um, TV room that has a flat screen TV with a couple channels, mostly news, um, with like metal benches, and and you can be in there um, uh, whenever you want and and watch TV. So I watched hours and hours and hours, almost every day. I was in there watching coverage of the Julie Show, and, um, kind of like commentary and all these strange. And my my a couple of my friends in France joked that BFM TV, which is the the main news channel I was watching, is, is must must have been produced for people in prison to watch is some kind of torture at night we are confined to the building where our cells or rooms are um but we can move around freely and actually we have to self-organize who is sleeping where so the cops do not actually take any sort of responsibility in making sure people are sort of like safe or well suited to be together or um you know even if we actually have enough mattresses so I mean, my roommate situation was constant flux. Um, the young Bulgarian girl kind of ditched me pretty quickly. And then I had a, a friend of mine, someone who became my friend um, from the Dominican Republic, move in underneath me. Within the next day, these two Romanian sisters like, were ad- admitted into the facility and they evicted her and sort of started sleeping in the bed underneath mine. And... Then I, I eventually, and then this kind of became this sort of like meeting place for a various Eastern European women to hang out and like smoke and kind of like talk on their little prison phones and um, with their with their family, whatever, just be like um, together. And I sort of got pushed out of that room. Actually, I got bullied out for smelling very, very bad because I had been, you know, running and then beat up and then in Garda View and then in the retention center for a few days wearing the exact same clothing. And so I like went to the bathroom and came back and like all of my like meager items had been like put in a locker and they were like, you can't like you can't wear your jacket anymore. It smells too bad. You have to keep it in the locker. You know, like you have to go take a shower right now, you know, like and I had or like those these couple of days I had made friends with yeah this, the woman from Dominican Republic and a woman from Costa Rica I speak Spanish and so it was I, I could have a relationship with them and eventually just they just kind of came and were concerned about me because there's lots of screaming going on in my room constantly uh so there was a there was a couple there was like it was like this interesting mix of of people where like there were some of some were like very kind of mean and aggressive and there's there's one there's one girl from Romania who spoke a few words of English and she kind of was like yeah she's very she's very mad all the time you know um, <laughs> but I mean I wouldn't say any of this was mean spirited for the most part um, at this point 
but just kind of like this intensity and I mean quite frankly I was very very strange like I was definitely very different than everyone at the center um like being yeah like actually being the only person from North America being the only native English speaker I could see it in myself how strange I was to those people because I was literally the only person that was there in this kind of strange fugitive way the only person that only had one set of clothing everyone else for the most part was detained with with their luggage or you know had family members visiting them every day um like had like everyone's in a massively different situation than me so regardless uh I spend the next day or two sort of filling my time sort of like speaking to each speaking to people I, I, I began to be be a little bit more open about my situation explain to people what had happened I try to figure out how you you know filling my days um kind of like finding the as many possible ways to loiter as possible so like going to the lines that I had no business being in and kind of like hanging out I, I enjoy I really enjoyed hanging out with a lot of the the guys um who um, there's there's more men who spoke French, and we just happened to have more discussions about about the police, about police violence, about their situation, about colonization, about the sort of overarching circumstances that were that had brought us to this retention center. And I would, you know, sort of just like loiter around, get into sort of back and forth arguments with the different police forces that were there. Because um, actually, like, every police force in France was sort of represented at the retention center. So, like, the sort of very tough, mobile, strong, plainclothes police officers with these, like, orange armbands. They do, like, the security for the prison. And then there's, like, the frontier or the, the border police sort of, like, kind of doing the low-level things and et cetera. Um, and, I mean, really, I was the only person there that had absolutely no motivation for, like good behavior or to be respect have any kind of positive interaction with these 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 cops based off the fact that I actually was not trying to stay I was trying to leave that I knew at this point that they had no business keeping me there and I, as as time went on I think the 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 police themselves even felt that what was happening was was illegal and very confusing and I was sort of this constant reminder of I think the absurdity of everything happening there like I would, I, you know, because I couldn't maintain some kind of like figure of a, you know, maybe non-white migrant, you know, undocumented with no place, like this sort of like, I don't know, the, the reality of the, like the fact that I, I am in fact like this excessive, like part of this excessive population that needs to be disposed of or needs to be moved around in some fashion by the state, you know, like the fact that I... I wasn't like a perfect representation of that that is easy for them like to feel as if they were like they're hosting and doing something good for these people you know like like there was clearly nothing good being done to me yet I was still on this equal equal field with all these people that they normally feel fine about doing this to and many of these many of the cops did feel fine in the sense that like you know they a lot of the cops like asked me straight up like why did I come to this country to throw rocks at the police and also, I was one of the only women who could understand in full what the police were saying at all times. So I, I heard their, you know, mundane conversations about their lives. I heard the ways in which they were complaining about their jobs. I heard the ways in which they were complaining about the inmates. Um, and I would respond to what they said, or, or at least I would 
feel something from what they said, which I think was, again, I kind of oscillated from being like very, very calm and very emotional. And um, the police usually got like the rough end of my emotions. It's December. It was very cloudy, rainy, sleety, snowy, and cold. And this, just the sky was completely gray or white um, for the first, for, for I think every day I was there actually. I saw the moon one time, but other than that, it was, it was as if we were completely just in a white box and the retention center was like the only thing in the world. And occasionally a plane would fly over us. And I tried with some of my friends to, to ask them if they knew like Johnny Cash and how he used to sing about trains and how we should like write songs about the airplanes flying over us, but it fell flat. Um, but it's basically like a very dystopic like elementary school where it's kind of very institutional or, you know, I of often felt, I mean, it feels like a series of waiting rooms. I felt like I was in a free clinic or like a med study and I was sort of, you know, confined, but like not to one room. And there's something very strange about this like um, confinement to multiple spaces that are kind of equally as bad. Um, but anyways, it's sort of like small, small rooms, uh, you know, maybe either like cream colored walls or like a really off putting yellow and sort of like metal benches and metal bunk beds, but they're, they're painted primary colors. And at one point I, I, I ran into the wrong cell block and stumbled upon a nursery cell that was just sort of like this vacant cribs where like the, the children and mothers stay when, when, when there's children detained. There's about six blocks of housing units that have maybe four or five rooms to each one and then a tv room and it's kind of like all in this line and um, then there's a small yard um, that's sort of like pavement and a small area of track material uh, and I don't know um, it was my plan I was going to like measure everything with my feet or something but I didn't get to it but like for for reference it would probably take 20 to 30 laps to make a mile if you ran around it and um there was kind of like a really strange slide in like some other kind of like jungle gym little apparatus and yeah there's just you're covered with fences with barbed wire there's like a and then there's the, the, the men's side which is sort of similar but maybe twice or three times the size as the women's side and then there's this main building that really again like it really just kind of looks like some kind of school building or something it's kind of like bricks and but all you know all the doors are reinforced and you you have to be let in and out of everything through a buzzer or, or, or a police card and you're kind of actually not supposed to be anywhere it's the kind of like confusing part so yeah you you know everything is on a tight schedule there's three meals the first one is at seven between seven and seven twenty-five, but you never really know when they're gonna open the doors you can't wait outside so you kind of like walk back and forth until they open it uh, and it was very, very cold, so it was difficult to be outside. Um, and then, yeah, there's sort of like these different gated corridors where you're waiting, you know, to get into the different buildings. Um, and outside, there's a big list of everyone's names with, um, you know, if they have a valid passport or not. 
and you know if they've already gone to tribunal which is their word for the trials and the administrative judges if they've gone to tribunal when their next tribunal hearing should be and then when their scheduled date of deportation was mine was january 8th so i was on there and if you walk into the main building all the offices are in this long hallway and at the end of the hallway by the by the door you're let in and out of is like this you know instant espresso machine that you can pay 40 cents and get like a little instant coffee so it like if all else fails you know and they finally ask you what you're waiting for you're like oh i'm getting a coffee (laughs) we'll continue to hear more about chantal's time inside the immigration retention center next week this has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. We also encourage your feedback. You can email us at kiteline at wfhb.org. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to tell your story or to record a message to a loved one behind bars at 812-269-2512. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions shared on the show. Please join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening. Pour penser à éviter le loup, à ce bon état.